section fifteen of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three part five as they ascended the first hill the lovers had the same thought they left the carriage and mounted the rise on foot in memory of their first meeting when marie took the young man's arm she thanked him by a smile for respecting her silence then as they reached the summit of the plateau and looked at fougere she threw off her reverie don't come any farther she said my authority cannot save you from the blues to-day showed some surprise she smiled sadly and pointed to a block of granite as if to tell him to sit down while she herself stood before him in a melancholy attitude the rending emotions of her soul no longer permitted her to play a part at that moment she would have knelt on red-hot coals without feeling them any more than the marquis had felt the firebrand he had taken in his hand to prove the strength of his passion it was not until she had contemplated her lover with a look of the deepest anguish that she said to him at last all that you have suspected of me is true the marquis started ah i pray you she said clasping her hands listen to me without interruption i am indeed the daughter of the duc de venouille but his natural daughter my mother a demoiselle de castoran who became a nun to escape the reproaches of her family expiated her fault by fifteen years of sorrow and died at seas where she was abbess on her deathbed she implored for the first time and only for me the help of the man who had betrayed her for she knew she was leaving me without friends without fortune without a future the duke accepted the charge and took me from the roof of francine's mother who had hitherto taken care of me perhaps he liked me because i was beautiful possibly i reminded him of his youth he was one of those great lords of the old regime who took pride in showing how they could get their crimes forgiven by committing them with grace i will say no more he was my father but let me explain to you how my life in paris injured my soul the society of the duc de venouille to which he introduced me was bitten by that scoffing philosophy about which all france was then enthusiastic because it was wittily professed the brilliant conversations which charmed my ear were marked by subtlety of perception and by witty contempt for all that was true and spiritual men laughed at sentiments and pictured them all the better because they did not feel them their satirical epigrams were as fascinating as the light-hearted humour with which they could put a whole adventure into a word and yet they had sometimes too much wit and wearied women by making love an art and not a matter of feeling i could not resist the tide and yet my soul was too ardent forgive this pride not to feel that their minds had withered their hearts and the life i led resulted in a perpetual struggle between my natural feelings and beliefs and the vicious habits of mind which i there contracted 
several superior men took pleasure in developing in me that liberty of thought and contempt for public opinion which do tear from a woman her modesty of soul robbed of which she loses her charm alas my subsequent misfortunes have failed to lessen the faults i learned through opulence my father she continued with a sigh the duc de venuille died after duly recognizing me as his daughter and making provisions for me by his will which considerably reduced the fortune of my brother his legitimate son i found myself one day without a home and without a protector my brother contested the will which made me rich three years of my late life had developed my vanity by satisfying all my fancies my father had created in my nature a need of luxury and given me habits of self-indulgence of which my own mind young and artless as it then was could not perceive either the danger or the tyranny a friend of my father the marechal duc de lenoncourt then seventy years old offered to become my guardian and i found myself soon after the termination of the odious suit in a brilliant home where i enjoyed all the advantages of which my brother's cruelty had deprived me every evening the old marechal came to sit with me and comfort me with kind and consoling words his white hair and the many proofs he gave me of paternal tenderness led me to turn all the feelings of my heart upon him and i felt myself his daughter i accepted his presence hiding none of my caprices from him for i saw how he loved to gratify them i heard one fatal evening that all paris believed me the mistress of the poor old man i was told that it was then beyond my power to recover an innocence thus gratuitously denied me they said that the man who had abused my inexperience could not be lover and would not be my husband the week in which i made this horrible discovery the duke left paris i was shamefully ejected from the house where he had placed me and which did not belong to him up to this point i have told you the truth as though i stood before god but now do not ask a wretched woman to give account of sufferings which are buried in her heart the time came when i found myself married to danton a few days later the storm uprooted the mighty oak around which i had thrown my arms again i was plunged into the worst distress and i resolved to kill myself i don't know whether love of life or the hope of wearying ill fortune and of finding at the bottom of the abyss the happiness which had always escaped me were unconsciously to myself my advisers or whether i was fascinated by the arguments of a young man from vendome who for the last two years has wound himself about me like a serpent round a tree in short i know not how it is that i accepted for a payment of three hundred thousand francs the odious mission of making an unknown man fall in love with me and then betraying him i met you i knew you at once by one of those presentiments which never mislead us yet i tried to doubt my recognition for the more i came to love you the more the certainty appalled me when i saved you from the hands of hulot i abjured the part i had taken i resolved to betray the slaughterers and not their victim i did wrong to play with men with their lives their principles with myself 
like a thoughtless girl who sees only sentiments in this life i believed you loved me i let myself cling to the hope that my life might begin anew but all things have revealed my past even i myself perhaps for you must have distrusted a woman so passionate as you have found me alas is there no excuse for my love and my deception my life was like a troubled sleep i woke and thought myself a girl i was in alencon where all my memories were pure and chaste i had the mad simplicity to think that love would baptize me into innocence for a moment i thought myself pure for i had never loved but last night your passion seemed to me true and a voice cried to me do not deceive him monsieur le marquis she said in a guttural voice which haughtily challenged condemnation know this i am a dishonoured creature unworthy of you from this hour i accept my fate as a lost woman i am weary of playing a part the part of a woman to whom you had brought back the sanctities of her soul virtue is a burden to me i should despise you if you were weak enough to marry me the comte de bovin might commit that folly but you you must be worthy of your future and leave me without regret a courtesan is too exacting i should not love you like the simple artless girl who felt for a moment the delightful hope of being your companion of making you happy of doing you honour of becoming a noble wife but i gather from that futile hope the courage to return to a life of vice and infamy that i may put an eternal barrier between us i sacrifice both honour and fortune to you the pride i take in that sacrifice will support me in my wretchedness fate may dispose of me as it will i will never betray you i shall return to paris there your name will be to me a part of myself and the glory you win will console my grief as for you you are a man and you will forget me farewell she darted away in the direction of the gorges of st sulpice and disappeared before the marquis could rise to detain her but she came back unseen hid herself in a cavity of the rocks and examined the young man with a curiosity mingled with doubt presently she saw him walking like a man overwhelmed without seeming to know where he went can he be weak she thought when he had disappeared and she felt she was parted from him will he understand me she quivered then she turned and went rapidly towards fougere as though she feared the marquis might follow her into the town where certain death awaited him francine what did he say to you she asked when the faithful girl rejoined her ah marie how i pitied him you great lady stab a man with your tongues how did he seem when he came up to you as if he saw me not at all oh marie he loves you yes he loves me or he does not love me there is heaven or hell for me in that she answered between the two extremes there is no spot where i can set my foot after thus carrying out her resolution marie gave way to grief and her face beautified till then by these conflicting sentiments changed for the worse so rapidly that in a single day during which she floated incessantly between hope and despair she lost the glow of beauty and the freshness which has its source in the absence of passion or the ardour of joy anxious to ascertain the result of her mad enterprise hulot and corentin came to see her soon after her return she received them smiling well she said to the commandant whose careworn face had a questioning expression the fox is coming within range of your guns 
you will soon have a glorious triumph over him what happened asked corentin carelessly giving mademoiselle de venille one of those oblique glances with which diplomatists of his class spy on thought ah she said the gar is more in love than ever i made him come with me to the gates of fougere your power seems to have stopped there remarked corentin the fears of your ci-devant are greater than the love you inspire you judge him by yourself she replied with a contemptuous look well then said he unmoved why did you not bring him here to your own house commandant she said to hulot with a coaxing smile if he really loves me would you blame me for saving his life and getting him to leave france the old soldier came quickly up to her took her hand and kissed it with a sort of enthusiasm then he looked at her fixedly and said in a gloomy tone you forget my two friends and my sixty-three men ah commandant she cried with all the naivete of passion he was not accountable for that he was deceived by a bad woman charette's mistress who would i do believe drink the blood of the blues come marie said corentin don't tease the commandant he does not understand such jokes hold your tongue she answered and remember that the day when you displease me too much will have no morrow for you i see mademoiselle said hulot without bitterness that i must prepare for a fight you are not strong enough my dear colonel i saw more than six thousand men at st james regular troops artillery and english officers but they cannot do much unless he leads them i agree with fauchet his presence is the head and front of everything are we to get his head that's the point said corentin impatiently i don't know she answered carelessly english officers cried hulot angrily that's all that was wanting to make a regular brigand of him ha ha i'll give him english i will it seems to me citizen diplomat said hulot to corentin after the two had taken leave and were at some distance from the house that you allow that girl to send you to the right about when she pleases it is quite natural for you commandant replied corentin with a thoughtful air to see nothing but fighting in what she said to us you soldiers never seem to know there are various ways of making war to use the passions of men and women like wires to be pulled for the benefit of the state to keep the running gear of the great machine we call government in good order and fasten to it the desires of human nature like baited traps which it is fun to watch i call that creating a world like god and putting ourselves at the centre of it you will please allow me to prefer my calling to yours said the soldier curtly you can do as you like with your running gear i recognize no authority but that of the minister of war i have my orders i shall take the field with veterans who don't skulk and face an enemy you want to catch behind oh you can fight if you want to replied corentin from what that girl has dropped close-mouthed as you think she is i can tell you that you'll have to skirmish about and i myself will give you the pleasure of an interview with the gar before long how so asked hulot moving back a step to get a better view of this strange individual mademoiselle de venille is in love with him replied corentin in a thick voice and perhaps he loves her a marquis a knight of st louis young brilliant perhaps rich what a list of temptations 
she would be foolish indeed not to look after her own interests and try to marry him rather than betray him the girl is attempting to fool us but i saw hesitation in her eyes they probably have a rendezvous perhaps they've met already well to-morrow i shall have him by the forelock yesterday he was nothing more than the enemy of the republic to-day he is mine and i tell you this every man who has been so rash as to come between that girl and me has died upon the scaffold so saying corentin dropped into a reverie which hindered him from observing the disgust on the face of the honest soldier as he discovered the depths of this intrigue and the mechanism of the means employed by fouché hulot resolved on the spot to thwart corentin in every way that did not conflict essentially with the success of the government and to give the gar a fair chance of dying honourably sword in hand before he could fall a prey to the executioner for whom this agent of the detective police acknowledged himself the purveyor if the first consul would listen to me thought hulot as he turned his back on corentin he would leave those foxes to fight aristocrats and send his soldiers on other business corentin looked coldly after the old soldier whose face had brightened at the resolve and his eyes gleamed with a sardonic expression which showed the mental superiority of this subaltern machiavelli give an ell of blue cloth to those fellows and hang a bit of iron at their waists he said to himself and they'll think there's but one way to kill people then after walking up and down a while very slowly he exclaimed suddenly yes the time has come that woman shall be mine for five years i've been drawing the net round her and i have her now with her i can be a greater man in the government than fouché himself yes if she loses the only man she has ever loved grief will give her to me body and soul but i must be on the watch night and day a few moments later the pale face of this man might have been seen through the window of a house from which he could observe all who entered the cul-de-sac formed by the line of houses running parallel with saint leonard one of those houses being that now occupied by mademoiselle de venille with the patience of a cat watching a mouse corentin was there in the same place on the following morning attentive to the slightest noise and subjecting the passers-by to the closest examination the day that was now beginning was a market day although in these calamitous times the peasants rarely risked themselves in the towns corentin presently noticed a small man with a gloomy face wrapped in a goatskin and carrying on his arm a small flat basket he was making his way in the direction of mademoiselle de venuille's house casting careless glances about him corentin watched him enter the house then he ran down into the street meaning to waylay the man as he left but on second thoughts it occurred to him that if he called unexpectedly on mademoiselle de venuille he might surprise by a single glance the secret that was hidden in the basket of the emissary besides he had already learned that it was impossible to extract anything from the inscrutable answers of breton and normans galop chopin cried mademoiselle de venuille when francine brought the man to her does he love me she murmured to herself in a low voice the instinctive hope sent a brilliant colour to her cheeks and joy into her heart galop chopin looked alternately 
from the mistress to the maid with evident distrust of the latter but a sign from mademoiselle de venouille reassured him madame he said about two o'clock he will be at my house waiting for you emotion prevented mademoiselle de venouille from giving any other reply than a movement of her head but the man understood her meaning at that moment corentin's step was heard in the adjoining room but gallop chopin showed no uneasiness though mademoiselle de venouille's look and shudder warned him of danger and as soon as the spy had entered the room the chouan raised his voice to an ear-splitting tone ha ha he said to francine i tell you there's breton butter and breton butter you want the giberie kind and you won't give more than eleven sous a pound then why did you send me to fetch it it is good butter that he added uncovering the basket to show the pats which barbette had made you ought to be fair my good lady and pay one sou more his hollow voice betrayed no emotion and his green eyes shaded by thick grey eyebrows bore corentin's piercing glance without flinching nonsense my good man you are not here to sell butter you are talking to a lady who never bargained for a thing in her life the trade you run old fellow will shorten you by a head in a very few days and corentin with a friendly tap on the man's shoulder added you can't keep up being a spy of the blues and a spy of the chouan very long gallop chopin needed all his presence of mind to subdue his rage and not deny the accusation which his avarice had made a just one he contented himself with saying monsieur is making game of me corentin turned his back on the chouan but while bowing to mademoiselle de venouille whose heart stood still he watched him in the mirror behind her gallop chopin unaware of this gave a glance to francine to which she replied by pointing to the door and saying come with me my man and we will settle the matter between us nothing escaped corentin neither the fear which mademoiselle de venouille could not conceal under a smile nor her colour and the contraction of her features nor the chouan's sign and francine's reply he had seen all convinced that gallop chopin was sent by the marquis he caught the man by the long hairs of his goatskin as he was leaving the room turned him round to face him and said with a keen look where do you live my man i want butter too my good monsieur said the chouan all fougere knows where i live i am corentin exclaimed mademoiselle de venille interrupting gallop chopin why do you come here at this time of day i am scarcely dressed let that peasant alone he does not understand your tricks any more than i understand the motive of them you can go my man gallop chopin hesitated a moment the indecision real or feigned of the poor devil who knew not which to obey deceived even corentin but the chouan finally after an imperative gesture from the lady left the room with a dragging step mademoiselle de venouille and corentin looked at each other in silence this time marie's limpid eyes could not endure the gleam of cruel fire in the man's look the resolute manner in which the spy had forced his way into her room an expression on his face which marie had never seen there before the deadened tones of his shrill voice his whole demeanour all these things alarmed her she felt that a secret struggle was about to take place between them 
and that he meant to employ against her all the powers of his evil influence but though she had at this moment a full and distinct view of the gulf into which she was plunging she gathered strength from her love to shake off the icy chill of these presentiments corentin she said with a sort of gaiety i hope you are going to let me make my toilet marie he said yes permit me to call you so you don't yet know me listen a much less sagacious man than i would see your love for the marquis de montrand i have several times offered you my heart and hand you have never thought me worthy of you and perhaps you are right but however much you may feel yourself too high too beautiful too superior for me i can compel you to come down to my level my ambition and my maxims have given you a low opinion of me frankly you are mistaken men are not worth even what i rate them at and that is next to nothing i shall certainly attain a position which will gratify your pride who will ever love you better or make you more absolutely mistress of yourself and of him than the man who has loved you now for five years though i run the risk of exciting your suspicions for you cannot conceive that any one should renounce an idolized woman out of excessive love i will now prove to you the unselfishness of my passion if the marquis loves you marry him but before you do so make sure of his sincerity i could not endure to see you deceived for i do prefer your happiness to my own my resolution may surprise you lay it to the prudence of a man who is not so great a fool as to wish to possess a woman against her will i blame myself not you for the failure of my efforts to win you i hope to do so by submission and devotion for i have long as you well know tried to make you happy according to my lights but you have never in any way rewarded me i have suffered you to be near me she said haughtily add that you regret it after involving me in this infamous enterprise do you think that i have any thanks to give you when i proposed to you an enterprise which was not exempt from blame to timid minds he replied audaciously i had only your own prosperity in view as for me whether i succeed or fail i can make all results further my ends if you marry montauran i shall be delighted to serve the bourbons in paris where i am already a member of the clichy club now if circumstances were to put me in correspondence with the princes i should abandon the interests of the republic which is already on its last legs general bonaparte is much too able a man not to know that he can't be in england and in italy at the same time and that is how the republic is about to fall i have no doubt he made the eighteenth brumaire to obtain greater advantages over the bourbons when it came to treating with them he is a long-headed fellow and very keen but the politicians will get the better of him on their own ground the betrayal of france is another scruple which men of superiority leave to fools i won't conceal from you that i have come here with the necessary authority to open negotiations with the chouan or to further their destruction as the case may be for fouché my patron is deep he has always played a double part during the terror he was as much for robespierre as for danton whom you basely abandon she said nonsense he is dead forget him replied corentin come speak honestly to me i have set you the example 
old hulot is deeper than he looks if you want to escape his vigilance i can help you remember that he holds all the valleys and will instantly detect the rendezvous if you make one in fougere under his very eyes you are at the mercy of his patrols see how quickly he knew that this juan had entered your house his military sagacity will show him that your movements betray those of the gar if montaran loves you mademoiselle de vanille had never listened to a more affectionate voice corentin certainly seemed sincere and spoke confidingly the poor girl's heart was so open to generous impressions that she was on the point of betraying her secret to the serpent who had her in his folds when it occurred to her that she had no proof beyond his own words of his sincerity and she felt no scruple in blinding him yes she said you are right corentin i do love the marquis but he does not love me at least i fear so i can't help fearing that the appointment he wishes me to make with him is a trap but you said yesterday that he came as far as fougere with you returned corentin if he had meant to do you bodily harm you wouldn't be here now you've a cold heart corentin you can draw shrewd conclusions as to the ordinary events of human life but not on those of passion perhaps that is why you inspire me with such repulsion as you are so clear-sighted you may be able to tell me why a man from whom i separated myself violently two days ago now wishes me to meet him in a house at florigny on the road to mayon at this avowal which seemed to escape her with a recklessness that was not unnatural in so passionate a creature corentin flushed for he was still young but he gave her a sidelong penetrating look trying to search her soul the girl's artlessness was so well played however that she deceived the spy and he answered with crafty good humour shall i accompany you at a distance i can take a few soldiers with me and be ready to help and obey you very good she said but promise me on your honour no i don't believe in it by your salvation but you don't believe in god by your soul but i don't suppose you have any what pledge can you give me of your fidelity and yet you expect me to trust you and put more than my life my love my vengeance into your hands the slight smile which crossed the pallid lips of the spy showed mademoiselle de vanille the danger she had just escaped the man whose nostrils contracted instead of dilating took the hand of his victim kissed it with every mark of the deepest respect and left the room with a bow that was not devoid of grace three hours after this scene mademoiselle de vernouille who feared the man's return left the town furtively by the porte st leonard and made her way through the labyrinth of paths to the cottage of gallop chopin led by the dream of at last finding happiness and also by the purpose of saving her lover from the danger that threatened him during this time corentin had gone to find the commandant he had some difficulty in recognizing hulot when he found him in a little square where he was busy with certain military preparations the brave veteran had made a sacrifice the full merit of which may be difficult to appreciate his cue and his moustache were cut off and his hair had a sprinkling of powder he had changed his uniform for a goatskin wore hobnailed shoes a belt full of pistols and carried a heavy carbine in this costume he was reviewing about two hundred of the natives of fougere all in the same kind of dress 
which was fitted to deceive the eye of the most practised chouan the warlike spirit of the little town and the breton character were fully displayed in this scene which was not at all uncommon here and there a few mothers and sisters were bringing to their sons and brothers gourds filled with brandy or forgotten pistols several old men were examining into the number and condition of the cartridges of these young national guards dressed in the guise of chouan whose gaiety was more in keeping with a hunting expedition than the dangerous duty they were undertaking to them such encounters with chouannerie where the breton of the town fought the breton of the country district had taken the place of the old chivalric tournaments this patriotic enthusiasm may possibly have been connected with certain purchases of the national domain still the benefits of the revolution which were better understood and appreciated in the towns party spirit and a certain national delight in war had a great deal to do with their ardour hulot much gratified was going through the ranks and getting information from goudin on whom he was now bestowing the confidence and goodwill he had formerly shown to meur and gerard a number of the inhabitants stood about watching the preparations and comparing the conduct of their tumultuous contingent with the regulars of hulot's brigade motionless and silent the blues were awaiting under control of their officers the orders of the commandant whose figure they followed with their eyes as he passed from rank to rank of the contingent when corentin came near the old warrior he could not help smiling at the change which had taken place in him he looked like a portrait that has little or no resemblance to the original what's all this asked corentin come with us under fire and you'll find out replied hulot oh i'm not a fourgere man said corentin easy to see that citizen retorted goudin a few contemptuous laughs came from the nearest ranks do you think said corentin sharply that the only way to serve france is with bayonets then he turned his back to the laughers and asked a woman beside him if she knew the object of the expedition hey my good man the chouans are at florigny they say there are more than three thousand and they are coming to take fougere florigny cried corentin turning white then the rendezvous is not there is florigny on the road to mayon he asked there are not two florignys replied the woman pointing in the direction of the summit of la pelerine are you going in search of the marquis de montauran said corentin to hulot perhaps i am answered the commandant curtly he is not at florigny said corentin send your troops there by all means but keep a few of those imitation chouans of yours with you and wait for me he is too malignant not to know what he's about thought hulot as corentin made off rapidly he's the king of spies hulot ordered the battalion to start the republican soldiers marched without drums and silently through the narrow suburb which led to the mayon high-road forming a blue and red line among the trees and houses the disguised guard followed them but hulot detaining goudin and about a score of the smartest young fellows of the town remained in the little square awaiting corentin whose mysterious manner had piqued his curiosity francine herself told the astute spy whose suspicions she changed into certainty of her mistress's departure inquiring of the post-guard at the port st leonard he learned that mademoiselle de venouille had passed that way 
rushing to the promenade he was unfortunately in time to see her movements though she was wearing a green dress and hood to be less easily distinguished the rapidity of her almost distracted step enabled him to follow her with his eye through the leafless hedges and to guess the point towards which she was hurrying ha he cried you said you were going to florigny but you are in the valley of gibari i am a fool she has tricked me no matter i can light my lamp by day as well as by night Quentin, satisfied that he knew the place of the lover's rendezvous returned in all haste to the little square which hulot resolved not to wait any longer was just quitting to rejoin his troops halt general he cried to the commandant who turned round he then told hulot the events relating to the marquis and mademoiselle de venille and showed him the scheme of which he held a thread hulot struck by his perspicacity seized him by the arm god's thunder citizen you are right he cried the brigands are making a false attack over there to keep the coast clear but the two columns i sent to scour the environs between entrain and vitre have not yet returned so we shall have plenty of reinforcements if we need them and i dare say we shall for the gar is not such a fool as to risk his life without a bodyguard of those damned owls goudin he added go and tell captain lebrun that he must rub those fellows noses at florigny without me and come back yourself in a flash you know the paths i'll wait till you return and then we'll avenge those murders at la vivetiere thunder how he runs he added seeing goudin disappear as if by magic gerard would have loved him on his return goudin found hulot's little band increased in numbers by the arrival of several soldiers taken from the various posts in the town the commandant ordered him to choose a dozen of his compatriots who could best counterfeit the chouan and take them out by the port st leonard so as to creep round the side of the saint sulpice rocks which overlooks the valley of Cousinon, on which was the hovel of gallop chopin hulot himself went out with the rest of his troop by the port saint sulpice to reach the summit of the same rocks where according to his calculations he ought to meet the men under beaupied whom he meant to use as a line of sentinels from the suburb of saint sulpice to the nid oaks crocks Quentin, satisfied with having delivered over the fate of the gar to his implacable enemies went with all speed to the promenade so as to follow with his eyes the military arrangements of the commandant he soon saw goudin's little squad issuing from the valley of the nonsan and following the line of the rocks to the great valley while hulot creeping round the castle of fougeres was mounting the dangerous path which leads to the summit of saint sulpice the two companies were therefore advancing on parallel lines the trees and shrubs draped by the rich arabesque of the hoar frost threw whitish reflections which enabled the watcher to see the grey lines of the squads in motion when hulot reached the summit of the rocks he detached all the soldiers in uniform from his main body and made them into a line of sentinels each communicating with the other the first with goudin the last with hulot so that no shrub could escape the bayonets of the three lines which were now in a position to hunt the gar across field and mountain the sly old wolf thought quarantin 
as the shining muzzle of the last gun disappeared in the bushes the gar is done for if marie had only betrayed that damned marquis she and i would have been united in the strongest of all bonds a vile deed but she's mine in any case the twelve young men under goudin soon reached the base of the rocks of saint sulpice here goudin himself left the road with six of them jumping the stiff hedge into the first field of gorse that he came to while the other six by his orders did the same on the other side of the road goudin advanced to an apple-tree which happened to be in the middle of the field hearing the rustle of this movement through the gorse seven or eight men at the head of whom was beaupier hastily hid behind some chestnut-trees which topped the bank of this particular field goudin's men did not see them in spite of the white reflections of the hoar-frost and their own practised sight hush here they are said beaupier cautiously putting out his head the brigands have more men than we but we have em at the muzzles of our guns and we mustn't miss them or by the lord we are not fit to be soldiers of the pope by this time goudin's keen eyes had discovered a few muzzles pointing through the branches at his little squad just then eight voices cried in derision qui vive and eight shots followed the balls whistled round goudin and his men one fell another was shot in the arm the five others who were safe and sound replied with a volley and the cry friends then they marched rapidly on their assailants so as to reach them before they had time to reload we did not know how true we spoke cried goudin as he recognized the uniforms and the battered hats of his own brigade well we behaved like breton and fought before explaining the other men were stupefied on recognizing the little company who the devil would have known them in those goatskins cried beaupier dismally it is a misfortune said goudin but we are all innocent if you are not informed of the sortie what are you doing here he asked a dozen of those chouans are amusing themselves by picking us off and we are getting away as best we can like poisoned rats but by dint of scrambling over these hedges and rocks may the lightning blast em our compasses have got so rusty we are forced to take a rest i think those brigands are now somewhere near the old hovel where you see that smoke good cried goudin you he added to beaupier and his men fall back towards the rocks through the fields and join the line of sentinels you'll find there you can't go with us because you are in uniform we mean to make an end of those curs now the gar is with them i can't stop to tell you more to the right march and don't administer any more shots to our own goatskins you'll know ours by their cravats which they twist round their necks and don't tie goudin left his two wounded men under the apple-tree and marched towards gallop chopin's cottage which beaupier had pointed out to him the smoke from the chimney serving as a guide while the young officer was thus closing in upon the chouan the little detachment under hulot had reached a point still parallel with that at which goudin had arrived the old soldier at the head of his men was silently gliding along the hedges with the ardour of a young man he jumped them from time to time actively enough casting his wary eyes to the heights and listening with the ear of a hunter to every noise in the third field to which he came he found a woman about thirty years old with bent back hoeing the ground vigorously 
while a small boy with a sickle in his hand was knocking the hoar-frost from the rushes which he cut and laid in a heap at the noise hulot made in jumping the hedge the boy and his mother raised their heads hulot mistook the young woman for an old one naturally enough wrinkles coming long before their time furrowed her face and neck she was clothed so grotesquely in a worn-out goatskin that if it had not been for a dirty yellow petticoat a distinctive mark of sex hulot would hardly have known the gender she belonged to for the meshes of her long black hair were twisted up and hidden by a red worsted cap the tatters of the little boy did not cover him but left his skin exposed ho old woman cried hulot in a low voice approaching her where is the gar the twenty men who accompany hulot now jumped the hedge hey if you want the gar you'll have to go back the way you came said the woman with a suspicious glance at the troop did i ask you the road to fougere old carcass said hulot roughly by st anne of Valais. have you seen the gar go by i don't know what you mean replied the woman bending over her hoe you damned garce do you want to have us eaten up by the blues who are after us at these words the woman raised her head and gave another look of distrust at the troop as she replied how can the blues be after you i've just seen eight or ten of them who were going back to fougere by the lower road one would think she meant to stab us with that nose of hers cried hulot here look you old nanny goat and he showed her in the distance three or four of his sentinels whose hats guns and uniforms it was easy to recognize are you going to let those fellows cut the throats of men who are sent by marchater to protect the gar he cried angrily ah beg pardon said the woman but it is so easy to be deceived what parish do you belong to st georges replied two or three of the men in the breton patois and we are dying of hunger well there said the woman do you see that smoke down there that's my house follow the path to the right and you will come to the rock above it perhaps you'll meet my man on the way gallop chopin is sure to be on watch to warn the gar he is spending the day in our house she said proudly as you seem to know thank you my good woman replied hulot forward march god's thunder we've got him he added speaking to his men the detachment followed its leader at a quick step through the path pointed out to them the wife of gallop chopin turned pale as she heard the uncatholic oath of the so-called chouan she looked to the gaiters and goatskins of his men then she caught her boy in her arms and sat down on the ground crying may the holy virgin of Arles and the ever-blessed saint labre have pity upon us those men are not ours their shoes have no nails in them run down by the lower road and warn your father you may save us head she said to the boy who disappeared like a deer among the bushes End of section fifteen